The phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, appears as far back in print as 1546 in England. So with over 400 years in our common culture, you didn't think the folks at Emerald Downs in Seattle would say no when an anonymous donor wanted to inject almost $200,000 in the track stakes program, did you? We'll talk about it with Emerald Downs' president. Plus, it's February, so that means another spring of spirited debate in the Florida State Legislature over whether racetracks should be allowed to stage casino gaming without the need for live horse racing. Oh, what fun it is to ride on this edition of In the Gate, coming up next. They're in the gate! They're in the gate! In the gate! They're in the gate! It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. As we get closer to the first Saturday of May, our focus, of course, will be on the Kentucky Derby. But while things are still relatively quiet, we want to touch on something else happening in the spring, a couple of weeks before the Derby. It's the opening of Emerald Downs outside Seattle, which opens for its 23rd season on April 22nd. Why would we mention this? Well, this past November, Emerald announced it would stage 28 stakes races on its 2018 schedule most notably the Long Acres Mile on August 12th. But then, in early February, an individual who was chosen to remain anonymous decided to sweeten the pot a bit. He added 20 grand each to four different stakes races for a total of $80,000 worth of donation. Those four races had been worth 50 grand each in previous years, but were scheduled to be downsized to 30,000 each. Those purses are now restored to 50. That donor is also funding a brand new race called the Getaway Stakes that'll be worth $100,000 for three-year-olds going a mile and a sixteenth on Closing Day, Getaway Day, Sunday, September 23rd. So that brings the total kicked in by that anonymous donor to $180,000. Wow. (laughs) So as we welcome in the president of Emerald Downs, Phil Ziegler, here to win the gate, the first question has to be, Mr. Ziegler, what were you thinking as you took that first phone call from that anonymous donor? Um, it was, uh, obviously, we were pleasantly surprised when the offer came in from someone who was just so wanting to help out the industry. And it was, we were a little bit shocked, but pleasantly, um, pleasantly so. When did all of this come together and how long did it take? didn't take long. It kind of came together pretty quickly after the sponsor made their offer to us. We got together and they were very specific in the request for the three-year-old race, which is how where we began with this thing. So it was just putting on the stake schedule and making it happen, which really was pretty easy to do at that point. Now, we heard the specific numbers, but in the big picture, where would Emerald Downs have been without this person fusion? Well, you have, um, there were four stakes races at the beginning of the season that um, would have been at 30000 and now they're going to be at 50000 
which is keeping black type status for those races, which is important to a lot of folks. And we have a, we pretty much have a series of races, stakes races, and a great stakes program here at Emerald. And the progression of the races throughout the season in each category, and starting it at 30, obviously, it's not as good as starting at 50. And all our other stakes races are at 50 for the most part. Of course, Long Acres Miles, 200,000. And then this person also uh, wanted to sponsor a new race, the three-year-olds, at the end of the season because there isn't anything really for the three-year-olds at the end of the season. And that's where the $100,000 getaway stakes came from, which is going to be exciting to have that kind of a race on closing day. Did he tell you the date that he wanted for the new stakes race and other conditions with it as well? The person did have a request for the three-year-old race on closing weekend and at a, I believe, mile and a sixteenth distance and kind of makes sense if you look at the rest of our stakes schedule. We have three-year-old races in our Washington Cup series, but if you don't have a Washington bred or sired horse, then there really isn't much for a three-year-old after our derby, which is fairly early in the meet. So this will keep horses around and also enable us to put together a little bonus, uh, almost a little Northwest Triple Crown series with our friends up at Hastings between our derby and their derby and the new getaway stakes. And we're offering a $100,000 bonus for any horse that could sweep that series. So this has led to even more exciting news out of our uh, stakes schedule, especially for three-year-olds. Phil Ziegler, president of Emerald Downs in Seattle, joins us here on In the Gate. You know, I'm an audiobook narrator, hashtag love audiobooks, and one that I narrated recently is a book about philanthropy. It's called Putting Wealth to Work by Joel Fleischman. It makes a lovely gift, by the way. One of the main (laughs) points the author makes is that there are two main ways to give philanthropically. The first is to start organizations using large endowments. The interest, you know, generated then funds the organization that goes on in perpetuity. The other idea is to give all your money away before you die, figuring that leaving it to others who run your philanthropic organization might result in a departure from the values and goals you were trying to reach. So what sense do you get, Mr. Ziegler, about what this particular anonymous donor is thinking short or long term? That's a good question, and I wouldn't know that really, except that this person seems to be very healthy. (laughs) I don't think that there's anything where somebody is looking at spending their money before they may pass away in that scenario. That's not the case here. Fortunately, we're very happy to report that. There's a lot of passion up here in the Northwest for horse racing, and horse racing with a long history that goes back even past when Long Acres was around, And there are folks that have been around this industry that are just so willing. And I do want to mention, you know, while this is an extreme case of someone coming forth with sponsorship money, we have a lot of great sponsors and people that help out throughout the year at smaller levels. And as a racetrack, we really appreciate the team effort from our ownership, which is the Muckleshoot Indian tribe that puts in over a million dollars in purses every year to these individuals that help us out as well. And it it keeps racing alive and thriving. Our attendance has been up the last couple of years, and it's a tough business, and we've been able to survive and thrive through um, some difficult years for racing, and there's just a lot of passion for it up here. 
And I think that would probably explain the motivation behind this as well. Now, this particular donor earmarked this donation specifically for race purses and that nomination and entry and starting fees for the race be donated to four different thoroughbred aftercare programs, which is a noble gesture, no doubt. But you know the phrase, give a man a fish, he can eat for a day, and you, of course, know the rest. What if that money that he donated had gone toward programs that could help Emerald Downs on into the future, like beefing up its social media presence as a form of advertising or improving the TV signal to HD or things like that? Well, when somebody wants to sponsor a race or, in this case, to put pretty much the whole sponsorship for an entire race like this and put up the purse money for it, it's pretty much up to them as to what they feel they want to do with that. It's not really for us to say where the money to go. I think in looking at the program and looking at having this big race at the end and also enhancing the other stakes races, I think that does build for the future. And we're excited about it. It, It's going to get a lot of attention. It's going to bring a lot of excitement in that uh, division that we really didn't have a race after our Derby, which is in July to come back with. And now we'll have even more quality racing as a result. Well, let's put it another way. Do you think there is any kind of afterglow on which you can capitalize from this newfound addition to the stake schedule and the addition of money to the other four to which it's being donated? Is there any kind of afterglow you can capitalize on? The motivation, I think, with somebody who is obviously this person is investing in our stakes program and trying to, we we have a lot of $2,500 claiming races, very good competitive full field races. On the upper level, this is probably going to help us in the long term. Maybe it helps with breeding. Maybe it helps with folks that want to bring their better horses to the state of Washington and to the Northwest to compete. And hopefully this makes you think of um, Emerald Downs as a destination where you want to spend your summers. The weather here is great. And a better stakes program is going to help get better horses. Well, I've been to Seattle. I see no reason why anybody wouldn't want to go there. It's a lovely, lovely place and look forward to a wonderful season. So thank you so much, Phil Ziegler, for a few moments and best of luck in the 2018 season. Thanks. And come on up and visit us. The weather is great during the summer. We open on April 22nd. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, the annual Florida legislature discussion on decoupling, whether racing and gaming should be linked by law. Don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. We've talked on this podcast about so many issues that affect the future of the horse racing industry takeout rates, breeding trends, big event days, all kinds of things. But there's one issue in particular, which we've discussed before and will be forced to discuss today and likely again in the future, that could have the biggest impact. And that issue is decoupling. Right now in the state of Florida, there is a law on the books that says that if you have a paramutual license, that is the right to stage paramutual gambling, and you want to add casino gaming to that property you must offer some form of live horse racing at some point during the year. There are minimum standards of what constitutes live horse racing that are, shall we say, not very specific. 
and that has led to some farcical events being passed off as live racing. The reason this rule exists, ostensibly, is to benefit the racing and breeding industries. If tracks are allowed to decouple, that is, to offer casino gaming without the need for horse racing, there stands a decent chance that all of them will do away with the large overhead needed to stage horse racing. With many industries, like horse racing, copying best practices of their peers, it is easy to see tracks in other states end live horse racing also, and before you know it, the entire business could dry up. So this decoupling issue, painful as it is for racing people to discuss, is nonetheless important. And with the Florida legislature in session this time of the year, the decoupling issue is coming up again. And few people know more about it than our good friend Jim Freer, who has been based in South Florida for a long time and operates the website horseracingfla.com. So, Jim, like Congress at the national or federal level, the Florida state legislature has two lawmaking parts, the Senate and the House of Representatives. In the past, the Senate has been in favor of decoupling. The House has opposed it. Unless they get together on the issue, of course, the measure won't pass. Why is there such a pronounced difference between the Senate and the House? I think it's probably more personalities than anything. You have 40 members of the Senate, 120 members of the House. And the only answer I've ever gotten is that the House part is, in some cases, maybe more grassroots. I really don't know the answer to that one, but that's been the case historically. Another major player in this debate is the Seminole Indian Tribe, which has a large gaming operation in the state. It might be the largest. The Seminoles obviously want to keep as much gambling activity for themselves, so they don't want racetracks to decouple. Decoupling would free up money that tracks could put into the casino business. So where are we with the talks between the Seminoles and governmental officials? Well, the the administration of Governor Scott and the Seminoles have reached several agreements over the last couple of years, which have not gotten approved in the legislature. In 2010, the Seminole Compact was signed. The primary part of it goes through 2030, which allows the Seminole Privatist Casinos to have the so-called Class Three, which I call the Vegas-style slot machines. Before that, they had the bingo machines. There's another clause to that agreement, which is a controversial one. It calls for the Seminoles to have exclusive rights to blackjack and to crap table, the blackjack into Baccarat in Florida until 2015. Now, that expired, but they continued to pay their agreement of revenues from their gaming business to the amount of about, oh, 250 or so million dollars a year. So they've continued to pay, the, pay not the taxes, but to pay the fees. And that, that might not go on forever. There's got to be something done in order to assure that the revenue flow from the Seminoles will keep coming forward. Now, let's get a little better sense of what the state government thinks about gambling in general. Last year, I believe, eight different counties in Florida voted in referenda to allow slot machines at local horse tracks and greyhound tracks, but the government, the state government, overruled them and said no. Now, I don't want to get too far afield here. I know the issue might result in an amendment to the state constitution, but my question is, What does the state government's overrule indicate about their appetite for gambling in general in the state? It indicated they don't want it everywhere. Over the past couple of years, eight counties, including Gadsden County, which is the home of the infamous Gretna, which we both know about, voters in those counties passed referenda to allow the paramutuals in their counties to have casinos. 
state's view, this was from the Attorney General's office, Pam Bondi, is that that can only happen if the approval originally comes from the legislature. There was no approval from the legislature, so those uh, efforts to put in casinos in those paramutuals are on hold. There's a state uh, constitutional amendment that's going to be on the ballot in November that states specifically in order for there, be, for there to be any expansion of gambling in Florida, that's geography and product, 60% of the voters would have to approve it in a ballot issue. And that means that it's going to be very difficult to get any, any gambling expansion approved. And it's going to be very hard to get a majority of the voters in Florida to do anything to expand gambling. And that's what the legislature is facing. It's facing a deadline of acting this year or come November. Whatever they do would have to be also approved by the voters. Jim Freer, freelance writer and operator of the HorseracingFLA.com website, joins us here on In the Gate. So when the Florida legislature adjourns in the spring, what is your sense of where we'll be with this issue? The Florida legislature adjourns on March 9th, and there's no talk yet about any sort of special session for anything. And it stands now there are two bills under consideration. One is in the Senate, Senate Bill 40, that would permit the Seminole tribe to add roulette and crafts will permit the all paramutuals and poker rooms to add so-called designated player games, which are a hybrid version of poker and, 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 black, and blackjack. And it would allow decoupling for the, for, the, for the hardest, for the dog tracks. The bill in the House would allow the paramutuals to add the designated player games where we'll be doing virtually nothing else. So there's a big disparity every year since, since 2011. It's been similar to this, and nothing has gotten nothing has gotten resolved. The coupling didn't happen, but as I said, Barry, this year there's a November ballot issue looming over the heads of everybody. That if the legislature doesn't act now, it's going to be very hard to get something approved and change. And the state needs that money from the the money from the Seminoles goes to education. Now there's the bureaucracy that takes it, but the state needs that money. The Seminoles could easily stop paying at any time and say sue us. One of the tracks in Florida with both robust gaming and robust racing is, of course, Gulfstream. And to me, that's a bit surprising, considering they now run 10 months a year in that one place. And just as you've heard the phrase, less is more, the possibility existed that more would be less at Gulfstream. Sometimes you don't know what you have till it's gone, as Amy Grant once said. But here, the handle numbers are way up during the so-called championship meet that runs from December yeah. to March. Why is that? I think it's because Gulfstream has done a good job of establishing its year-round brand. It's kept the quality of racing in the wintertime, especially in the turf racing. Now, my business partner, Barry Unterbrink, and I crunched the numbers at Gulfstream every day. And through Monday, which was President's Day, he... Daily average all sources handle was $9.96 million. The same point last year was $9.4 million. So they're up 7% meet to date in, in handle. And last year they set a record. And that's a very good figure, $10 million a day. They're coming up on a, on a stronger period of the meet. They're down a little bit in terms of field sizes, but the handle is up 7% year to date. And it's in large part due to the popularity of the turf racing. You run about six turf races a day. Why would that be such a difference maker? Well, we both know people love to bet on turf racing, and they have a lot of they've got a lot of good 
they've got a lot of good claiming and allowance level turf races. They've got a good turf program there. And they've been very fortunate this year. It's been a rather dry winter. Our thanks to Jim Freer and to Phil Ziegler. What's the hardest part of operating a small business? It's not providing the actual service. The hardest part of running the business is running the business. Those other things make entrepreneurs nervous. One of those things is workman's comp, the insurance you must have to cover employees injured while at work. You might imagine that workman's comp is a big deal in horse racing, but one insurance companies want to shirk. There are fewer companies willing to insure this dangerous industry, so with competition down, the costs will rise. Who bears the costs? The trainers do. Most horsemen work for them, though some track operators help trainers economize. Some smaller trainers just can't do it, and they're put out of business. The lifeblood of the sport insurance drains. I simply hope that all involved find a way to work this out, so that more than just the super trainers remain. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.